Welcome to the New York City Parks COVID or History Project podcast. Our subject is the history of the COVID-19 pandemic and the response and activities of New York City Parks. Our hosts are Diana Baker and Kevin Fitzpatrick. This is episode number nine, One Leaf, One Team. Hello, Diana. We are back in lush Williamsburg, Brooklyn at McCarran Play Center in the Media Education Lab. Our all-parky team is using the Media Lab to share our history with listeners, presenting some of the more than 100 interviews conducted last year about the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, our guests are Parkies who have ties to our important workforce development program. City seasonal aides Michelle Brody and Jessenia Rivero, City Park workers Elvin Toro Lobo and Bernard McGuire, Wanda Heath, Parks Opportunity Program worker, and Elizabeth Ehrlich, former Chief of Workforce Development. Hi, Kevin, and hello to all of the new listeners and subscribers our podcast has picked up this week. Welcome to our show. We have listeners in Austin and Detroit, but a lot of you are right here in Brooklyn. On the last show, we recalled the Parks Food Distribution Program. Today, we're going to hear more stories from more Parkies. We're focusing on the workforce, the Parkies who do the physical labor of keeping parks, playgrounds, beaches, and recreation centers open, running, and clean for all. These are workers you will see in uniform, in parks properties, in the background, keeping the operations moving. Our Chief of Operations of Citywide Technical Services on Randalls Island, Leroy Temple, a 40-year parky, has a nickname for the agency, which is the title of our show, One Leaf, One Team. We should explain how the agency is set up, because today you'll hear a lot of acronyms. Yes, when I joined last year, I kept hearing these terms, POP, CSA, CPW, POP is Parks Opportunity Program. CSA is City Seasonal Aid. Full-time employees are CPW or City Park Workers. POP workers can apply for full-time work as a City Seasonal Aid and earn a promotion to City Park Worker. POP started in 1994. Since that time, more than 50,000 New Yorkers have gone through it and worked for parks. It is the largest workforce program in the country. In June 2023, there will be about 1,800 POP workers in our agency. 60% are women, and the average age is 36. The Parks Opportunity Program, I taught that back in many years ago. (laughs) I won't date myself. Um, (laughs) But I taught computer usage to thousands of POP workers, and um, some of whom have uh, rolled over to media education. We have a few people in our division now that started out as pop workers. Elizabeth Ehrlich was the chief of workforce development at New York City Parks and worked for the agency for 20 years. From her vantage point, she oversaw thousands of workers who came into the agency and was in the field to see the recruiting and training. What makes POP special is that this program is both the employer and the career service provider for these individuals trying to re-enter the workforce. She was asked about the workforce programs that Park uses. So we run many different transitional employment programs at New York City Parks. The largest and the best is the Parks Opportunity Program, which is a program that we run in partnership with the Human Resources Administration, where people who are receiving public assistance can come work for us for up to six months, although we extended it during COVID. and. Um, 
basically they're working for us in a seasonal line doing frontline like we call it cleaning cleaning and greening work at New York City parks and then as part of their job they receive services from us so um, they have career individualized career coaching um, those who are interested could do high school equivalency classes um, our whole goal is to help people maximize the experience of this job and to to, to you know make make a a plan, a supported plan, to move forward into the next job or whatever the next step is for them. Can you talk about managing those people, what that was like? Yeah, that was really hard. Um, so, so there were two things happening, right, because we have the services and the operations unit. So one side was that our services unit, which is um, coaching, high school equivalency, all of that, that was on like one side. And the other side was operations, where we do the hiring and the training. So the hiring and the training stopped. So that was very scary because I had a whole group of people who basically didn't have work that wasn't, they, couldn't, they didn't have work to do from home. Right. So I was like, oh my God, I have to figure out what to get these people to do from home because I can't just send them home with no job because I don't know what's going to happen yet and I don't want to make them expendable. And then I had the services staff who had to go home and they could keep servicing people, except we didn't have an infrastructure for that and capability-wise I knew it was going to be challenging. So. Immediately we sort of like split this up and I mean it's always separate anyway, but the services side, um, we basically just started having daily meetings of like here's how to do Zoom meetings, here's how to use Salesforce. Um, when, you're, when you're having um, a one-on-one -on -one Zoom with someone, we're not talking about job search anymore, we're not talking about resumes, we're, not to, we're like how are you? How are you feeling? Are you in a safe place? What's work like? Do you feel safe at work? What do you need? Do you need a mask? Do you need that? Like, we're not talking about job search. We're not talking about like anything else, just like human to human, like how are you? And then um, the, we have um, we have high school equivalency teachers and they're amazing. And we also proctor the exam in-house. And so for the high school equivalency teachers, I pulled one of them in, Susan, and I said, I don't want people to stop because if they stop, they're going to lose all of their progress, and then whenever we can test them again, they're not going to be—they're not going to be able to pass. So please figure out how to teach virtually. And she was like, "I don't." And I'm like, oh, "I don't." Good luck. <laughs> like, I mean, I wasn't that cold, sure. but it was just sort of like everything you do in a classroom. Like, let me know if you need a whiteboard. Let me know if you need—you know—but like, we, we have to—we can't stop classes. Like, it's too important. What this program provides is a leg up. It is hard work but also job training, career coaching, and vital to the agency workforce. Many of the workers come from public housing, and this is a job that gives them an entry into the agency. During COVID, while most transitional workforce programs shut down in the city, Parks Opportunity Program focused on what needed to be done to keep these workers coming to work and working. Many pop workers decided to continue to come to the work sites to clean parks and public spaces despite additional challenges in juggling health, safety, and family commitments like childcare. It was an opportunity to work and transition into a better paying job. I've worked in a lot of crazy places in my career, but nothing has been like meeting these parks workers. It is always interesting. Because about nine times out of ten, everyone from entry level to commissioners usually wears a little gold or silver pin with the park's leaf. I see it all the time. And when I sat down to meet Michelle Brody, a city seasonal aide who works in Queens, I met her in Kew Gardens in the Overlook headquarters, one of the most stunning buildings in the park system. During the pandemic, she was in the POP program, 
working in parks and playgrounds, cleaning them. She was asked about that. So what was going through your mind when you're going to work and there's this pandemic going around? What were you thinking about? I was thinking that I have to keep everybody safe where I'm working. I have to keep everybody safe. I have to make sure everybody has their proper PPE kits. I have to make sure that the building is cleared. I had to make sure that the knobs was clean, the hand sanitizers was always filled up, paper towels if anybody needed it. I wasn't allowed to, you gotta walk around with your face mask on at all times. If you get caught without your face mask, you gotta pull it up. So it was like a little hectic in the beginning of COVID, but otherwise everybody adapted to it so far. What was your team like? You had the same friends every day at work that you would go to work with? I will actually have a lot of friends at work, especially when I'm dealing with people in general, the public. It's like everybody is like always gun-ho for the parks department. So they'd be like, oh, Michelle, could you help me clean this? Could you help me clean? I'm like, sure, hold on, let me get my crew. They're right behind me. Oh, like, oh, Michelle, you need help? I'm like, yes, could you help me with the public? They look like, okay, no problem. So it's not that bad, but if you know how to, you know, get around it and you know how to take care of everything, then you should be fine. What was the spirit like of the crew and you and your coworkers? Was it high? Was it low? What was it like? It was a little bit of tension due to the fact that some of my coworkers, their, their family members caught COVID in the process of working with me. So I'm the type of person to try to like pick them up, give them a good spirit and like tell them it'll be totally, it'll be totally okay if you just have faith once in a while, you know, you can't let COVID take over you. You just can't do that because if you let COVID take over you, then what's the point? One thing I learned researching this episode is that during the pandemic, the pop workers were not quitting. They were coming to work. And some of the workers, they could have quit and stayed home and still gotten their government benefits. But as we learned, a lot of the pop workers looked at this as a shot to go from a part-time to a full-time job with benefits, and they kept coming in to work. One of these is Wanda Heath, assigned to many parks in the Bronx. Like many of us, she had no other options except mass transit to get to work. And in the pandemic, there were shutdowns, cancellations, and a lack of service. So on top of worrying about staying safe and healthy, Wanda, a grandmother, also had to think about getting to and from work. I was very depressed because many times I had to work, walk to work because when I had me on 170, I was on 175th Street, they transferred me over there. I had to walk to work because it was the buses wasn't showing up and it was a lot to walk. I walked, I guess, like 50 blocks or almost 100 blocks just to get where I had to go. And then I had to go visit my daughter who lives in Jersey. And the PATH train was fine, but I forgot my mask. And you know, in Jersey, that's like a $50 fine. So the cop gave me a mask. But then when I got over to Manhattan side, the trains had stopped working. I had to walk to the Bronx. Nobody was out there. You had to walk to the Bronx from the PATH station? Yes. Wow. Because I was still, I was still working. Mm -hmm. So long as I was working, I had to wear my mask because I didn't know 
who had the coronavirus and who didn't have the coronavirus because while I was there, people did contact the coronavirus. And then also when I first got there, I first started, someone caught it, but they said it was in, around the building. So when I went to the doctor, um, they took me out for a whole week because I probably had contact the coronavirus. Okay. And when you were at the job at, at the park, um, were there more people, less people using the park? Somewhat, sometimes. Then sometimes when it started getting warm, they start having parties and stuff like that. And it was stuff everywhere. Nobody was really cleaning. And we had so much work. It's like it took us almost two days to clean all this stuff up. People got married. Black Matters was there. Um, so it was very interesting. During COVID, I didn't really take mass transit at all. I didn't ride the train for over a year. When I was teaching Learning Bridges, I took the bus, you know, straight up First Avenue and straight down Second Avenue, and that was pretty much it. From the Bronx, we're going to Sunset Park, Brooklyn, to the stunning, kind of new Bush Terminal Piers Park. It's located on First Avenue and 43rd Street. Jasenia Rivera came to New York as a little girl from Peru almost 25 years ago, and she told us how proud she was to get her own park to work in. Going back a couple of years, Christmas 2019 into 2020, what do they have you doing? What are you working and what are you doing? I had to make sure that parks were being maintained. So we had to sanitize bathrooms every morning. Uh, before leaving and locking up as well. We had to just make sure that there was no hazards um, and just welcoming the public at that hard time, you know. Okay. Um, a lot of people, they didn't want to join outside. So just to let them know that it was safe, you know, um, that we were trying to do our best to maintain it safe and clean for them and just sanitize it all the time that we can. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard coronavirus or pandemic? Like I was at work when like the big thing started breaking out in the news and um, things like that. So yeah, I was at work when the big breakout of the news came out. Well, at the beginning, like everyone else, they, we weren't sure how this was being transmitted, how it was passed around and things like that. So basically we were just trying to keep the precautions, you know, at first to try to not keep together in one place, like especially indoors. So those are the things that I see that my site where I work, we're trying to do, separate people, not have big, large groups, workers together. Um, where I was at, it was my own park house, so it was just me and two other workers, which was the gardener and uh, CBW. Um, but that's just it. When we got together, like I said, they'll keep meetings where people stay six feet apart. That was the only thing we knew back then. So did you have kids in school that were now home that do remote learning? Yes. So during the time, my kids uh, were, I have a five, a six-year-old and a 14-year-old, and they were both in school. Then they had to stay home during that, you know, shutdown of the schools and things like that. So, so you're the mom. You have to go to work, yeah. and they have to stay home. Right. So who was watching them? So I had my mom was my care provider. I lived with my mother and my two children. So she was my mainly care provider. So that was good for me in that sense of not worrying where my children would be. So that's how I got to attend to work every day. What's the morale like of your team at that time? Do you remember what was everybody up, down? I mean, what was everybody feeling? 
it was hard. It was hard for others because others didn't have that opportunity to have someone watching their kids. So I seen a lot of people leave because of that. Um, and then other people who already have like health problems and that became a lot of worry and so for them. When yeah. you joined the agency, did you think like, I'm gonna become a public servant? Did that ever cross your mind or was it just like, this is a job? I mean, working for the city. So working for the city, like I said, it was an opportunity. Um, I always been a caregiver, if you take up taking care of my family members, grandparents and things like that. So it wasn't really hard for me to know that I was going to be around uh, serving people and things mm -hmm. of that for me. But it was hard, though. It sure. was. I mean, yeah. Diana, I can't tell you how many working parents we interviewed, and a lot of them had young kids who suddenly had to change up their childcare plans. A lot of the entry-level workers had to be put into this position to provide for their families. A Staten Island City Park worker is Bernard McGuire, who progressed from seasonal to full-time work. And what drew you to the agency? I mean, what is it about this agency? In the beginning, I didn't know anything about it. I thought it was just regular parks. But once I started working at High Rock, I knew there were trails and flowers and wilderness. It, that's what actually kept me in parks. And what are they saying at the job? I mean, is there, everybody talks, what are they saying? Well, in the beginning, they were just saying, oh, people are getting sick and oh, it's not going to affect us, it's not going to affect us. And a couple of weeks later, we got shut down. Okay. And what did what that do to you and your job? What where'd you? It was my day off. They called me and they said the rec center is being closed for now because the virus going around. And we'll call you and let you know when and where if you'll be coming back. And then what happened? Uh, luck, luckily, they called me back in three days and told me uh, show up to High Rock. Okay. And what did you do? I mean, the rec center is closed, right? Yeah. So what did you do? Um, in High Rock started like basically what I did the rec center cleaning up bathrooms and this that but then I realized it was more than just the rec center so I started working in trails and doing street work picking up a lot of trash learned how to use a weed whacker started cutting stuff like that well it's you're outdoors yeah so not trapped inside no that's a good thing you're a native New Yorker what was the city like was it driving around the boroughs in that era it was sad because uh New York's a city that never sleeps, it's always, but it was like the beginning of The Walking Dead when they're walking around and where, where's everybody? It was sad. Looking back on a lot of things that we've been through as New Yorkers, like 9-11 and all the hurricanes that have been passing, stuff like that, this is just something that, if not, it should be in the history books just to let people know the world shut down, not just one place, the world shut down for a couple of years. First was the emptiness, like working through the park, seeing how always full of people, jumping around happy, talking to each other, and then just seeing how you'll see a person here, then a person over there, and if they get too close, they walk away. Just seeing that happening and then people getting back together. That's something that's going to stick with me forever because that moment when everybody got back together, that's what made me feel like we're, we're going to survive this whole thing. Well, that was a powerful story. And here's another story from another city park worker. 
Elvin Trejo Lobo immigrated from Honduras in New York 40 years ago. His is a success story because after working for Parks for two years during the pandemic, he got into a different city agency with a promotion and a raise. He's a single dad and he worked in Manhattan and Jackson Heights, Queens. Elvin was asked about the start of the pandemic. And when I came here, yes, I was a little bit scared, but I feel comfortable working in part because, uh, I mean, uh, my co-workers were kind of uh, strong, so they didn't didn't think too much about it, okay? And uh, that made me feel better. So, um, however, I was kind of scary because uh, I have to deal with a lot of different uh, uh, good old people, all kinds of people. um, And then I have some people coming sick to the park. They told me they were sick with Corona. And others uh, also, I never saw them again. I have like uh, two friends that I never saw them again. I don't know what happened. I I hope they went for vacations. (laughs) So, um, These are co-workers? Yeah, no, um, oh, people who came to the park. Oh. But I hear about two workers who died. Okay. So um, then uh, uh, my concern was, uh, because I'm a single parent, so I have my 12-year-old child, and uh, I was kind of scary for that. Was she in school? He was in the school. He was doing uh, online, online classes. Uh, for like around three months or four months, not for too long, okay? And then, uh, yeah, but I was my con- that was my concern because uh, I'm, I'm a single parent, like I say, and, and I don't have nobody to look out for my son, no family, anything around. I decided to quit the job. So it was early in the morning, and I said, I'm going to quit today, okay? My son is more important, you know? And then uh, my supervisor showed up, and I said, I was gonna say I'm 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 gonna quit the job, (laughs) but uh, she say close the park, get in the truck, and what I say they show me the newspaper New York City parks are closed. Okay, that's fine. So I keep working until the end, and I was uh, I have a lot of support from New York City parks, especially for my career coach. We apply for different jobs, and finally I get a job from uh, Human Resources Administration, and I moved there like in October 2021. Which department is this? Uh, uh, Human Resources Administration, HRA. Oh, HRA, yeah. okay, understood. Yeah, so I was applying to many jobs. I have the website where you apply for a lot of jobs. I get some uh, jobs also from Leila. And so it was, uh, it was like a teamwork, and Joshua, he was very, very supportive. I'm never going to forget that guy. So he was uh, uh, focusing, helping me, okay, and finally work out, so I get a better job, you know? Diana, I think why I was drawn to the story was these stories. Our earlier episodes, we did hear from senior management, commissioners and chiefs, but to hear from entry-level parks workers who have to work to provide for the families, that's the kind of history I'm glad we captured. Yes, and our center here, McCarran Park, has a new generation of pop workers right here as the pool opens and the crowds come in for summer. Yes, a really fine episode today, and I'm glad we got to share so many stories here. 
Yes, a nice episode. I can't wait for the next one. Thanks for listening to our show. Thanks, everyone, for the support and feedback our podcast gets. Please share this with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to the New York City Parks Oral History Project podcast. It is produced by New York City Parks Media Education. Our hosts are Diana Baker and Kevin Fitzpatrick. Our producer is Igosa Agbo, and our sound engineer is Eddie Hall. Our executive producer is Joy Wang. Original theme music, A Stroll in the Park, is composed and performed by Brett Meany, and the show's soundbed audio is composed by Shaquem Hill-Wasse. I am announcer, Zach Weller. On our next episode, we will explore the world of the New York City trees and forestry, something so key to the planet. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends and families. See you in the parks.